Morning, y'all. I'm from Tennessee originally, so I can do that. And uh, if you ever want to come back and preach, you can do that. Uh, in fact, if you have anything on Genesis 5, 1 through 32, which is next week's passage, it's just a long lineage. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Let me know. <clears throat> so a couple of weeks ago, the series finale of the NBC show, This Is Us, aired, and the last few episodes were, as you might expect if you were a fan, beautiful, sad, hopeful, all at once, sort of like life. There was a particularly powerful scene that took place as Rebecca, the matriarch of the Pearson family, was dying. And no, that's not a spoiler, because fans of the show have known for two or three years that this is where things were headed. Rebecca, in a <clears throat> dreamlike state, as she's journeying towards death and whatever the afterlife might be, I suppose, she turns to her guide for this journey, William, and she says, it's quite sad, isn't it? And of course, for those of us who have watched that show from its beginning, it's a very sad episode. But William responds to her in what could, could sound a bit cheesy or profoundly true, depending on your frame of mind, depending on your level of pain or woundedness or cynicism. cynicism. He says, among other things, this, and I'll quote him, Truth be told, I've always felt a bit lazy just to think of the world as sad. Because so much of it is, because everything ends, everything dies. <clears throat> but if you step back, if you step back and look at the whole picture, if you're brave enough to allow yourself the gift of a really wide perspective, if you'll do that, <clears throat> you'll see that the end is not sad. It's just the start of the next incredibly beautiful thing. Now, to be sure, sadness is real, and I am glad I'm in here right now. <clears throat> sadness is real, and uh, it is to be experienced fully. Grief is a good thing, a necessary thing. Denial of our pain, our sadness, and our grief is not healthy. However, I found William's perspective to be profound, especially for those of us who know that there is something far more to life than what we currently see and experience today, far more than our failures or the failures of others and the way they impact our lives. We know that from a very wide perspective, God can work in any of it. And God can bring about redemption where and when we least expect it. Furthermore, we know that Jesus promises us that for those of us who have placed our faith in him, for those of us who believe, have attached our lives to Jesus, though we die, we will live again. And as I think about our journey through Genesis chapters 1 through 11 so far, I, I, don't, I don't have to think too long before I can see the shame that Adam and Eve must have felt by the time they get to this point in the story. They have gone through a lot, and they are not innocent in these things. I'm reminded of God's words to Eve after her sin in the garden about the sorrow with which she and all of humanity would now bring children into the world. I'm reminded of the remorse she must have felt over her choices and those of her husband to bring them to the place they now found themselves. Her son Cain was, has murdered her other son Abel in the 
sin of Adam and Eve has opened the door to more sin, and they, they do indeed have sorrow upon sorrow. The thought of bringing children, their children, into the world. This week we're going to spend some time with the descendants of Cain, and, and the, the world will look a bit sad to us as we do all over again. We're going to see more than that. We're going to discover hope and we're going to discover the possibility of the next incredibly beautiful thing in the plan of God. For God does not give up on any of us. In the first paragraph of our passage, verses 17 to 18, we quickly move through Cain's line to his great-grandson Lamech. And before we get there, we're given this detail that Cain founded a city, the first city, And here we find out that there were other human beings living at that time, at the time of Cain and his family. Otherwise, this city has a population of one. And why does Cain found a city? What is is he after? He's after Eden. He wants a place that looks and feels like the Garden of Eden. Now, of course, Cain has never seen the Garden of Eden. He was born after his parents had exiled him from that, been exiled from that place. They, they were banished to the east. And then after Cain murdered his brother, God sent him even further away once again. God told him that he would be a restless wanderer in the land. And Cain then feared that if he was out there all alone with no community, with no people, that someone might kill him. Again, who would kill him? Other human beings who were apparently living at that time. So Cain cried out to God, If you do this to me, whoever finds me will kill me. Verse 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The word Nod means wandering. It means wandering. Where does Cain wander? He wanders in the land of wandering, east of Eden. In these first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, the further east people go, the further east people go, the further from God's design they find themselves. We could even say the further from God's presence they find themselves, at least in the way that presence was experienced in the garden. And whether we know it or not, friends, we can all end up east of Eden. We can all end up east of Eden, wandering in the land of Nod. Whether, whether we know it or not, we are all homesick for Eden. We are homesick for God and for fellowship with God. As the poet Rainer Maria Rilke phrased it, God is the great homesickness we could never shake off. You, God, are the great homesickness we could never shake off. And that, that homesickness affects all of us, whether we call it that or not. We're all homesick for Eden. In Cain's situation, it was willful disobedience against God that got him to that place. But it can be other things too. For not only do we human beings sin, we are also sinned against. And sometimes in the the pain, in the trauma of it all, we end up alone. We end up east of Eden. We can feel that things are, are, are not the way they're supposed to be and getting back to Eden, whether we realize it or not, getting back to Eden is what we're all trying to do. Getting back to Eden is what we're all trying to do. We are trying to build our own version of paradise. 
The next paragraph picks up the narrative with Cain's great-grandson, Lamech, verses 19 to 22. Lamech married two women, one named Ada, the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was named Nama. So Cain has two wives. Polygamy has now been introduced into the narrative, and we know this is not the way God intended it. Back in Genesis 2, it's a very clear picture of God's intention was that Adam and Cain, his son after him, were to have only one wife. And yet there it is in the pages of our Bible. Lamech married two women. Lamech has chosen something that, that ran against God's intention in the garden. Going a step further, later on in Scripture, God will not only allow or seem to even almost look the other way concerning polygamy, God will regulate it. In Exodus 21.10, God says that if a man does indeed marry a second wife, he is not to deprive the first wife of food, clothing, or marital rights. This shows us the radically gracious links to which God will go to stay engaged with us. If we insist on sinning, if we insist on going our own way, God will at least attempt to regulate our sin so that it doesn't do as much damage as it might have done. He has done this with Adam and Eve. He has done this with Cain. And now he does it with Lamech and his wives. Later, God will do the same with things like slavery. This is one of the ways that God incarnates or enfleshes himself into our lives long before he did so in the coming life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the very nature of God and God's tremendous love for all of creation. Richard Rohr says that God loves things by becoming them, and I don't completely agree with that. I won't go that far, but he's on to something. God loves us by entering into our world, into our culture, inhabiting even our dysfunction and sinful institutions in order to set us free from the inside out. God comes to us in the midst of our sin and shame, in the midst of everything that's gone wrong, in the culture, where we are, in order to set us free from the inside out. So far, Cain has taken the lemons that life has, and his own sin, have handed him, and he's made lemonade, another theme from This Is Us. He's, he's founded a city. He's built a family. He's continued the lineage, and his family has brought into the world the farming of livestock. His family has brought into the world the creation of art and beauty and musical instruments and the beginnings of metalwork and the making of tools of bronze and iron. Even amid the, the darkness and sin and rebellion and its consequences, humanity moves forward. Civilization develops, and Cain's life has meaning and value. We might even say that despite Cain's sin and its consequences, it is actually through his line that humanity begins to fulfill God's commandment in Genesis 1 to rule over the creation and all of its creatures as those who have dominion and as those who carry forth the image of God into the world. It begins with Cain's line. This is a word to us. This is a word to us. Yes, Cain's rebellion resulted in his wandering further from the presence of God. But there's still blessing 
on Cain's life and line. Mixed in with the downward spiral of sin and its destruction for sure, but there is, there is good nonetheless. God is still at work. There's a hint here, maybe even more than a hint, that, that God is not finished, that God has not given up on humanity to be a human being made in God's images, at the very least to carry with us the potential, the incredible potential to create meaning and beauty in the world. And the lineage of Cain, the descendants of Cain, begin to do just that. If you were like Cain, because of your own sin, or because of the sin of others, or because of the hard and sometimes brutal facts of life in a beautiful but broken world. If you are like Cain, if you are wandering in the land of Nod, and you feel that the presence of God is far removed from you, the good news is that God has not given up on you either. God has not given up on you either, no matter how far east of Eden you find yourself or how you got there. The potential placed within you, within the womb, is still very much there. The potential for life and beauty and growth and joy and meaning and purpose. The potential even to know and experience the presence of God once again. It's all still there even today. God is waiting to create in and through you the next incredibly beautiful thing. But like I said, sin is still very much present in the world and at work. In the next paragraph, the great-grandson of Cain reminds us of this fact. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. The the anger, the, the rage, the pride that we saw in Cain has not dissipated in his family line. If anything, it's intensified. Lamech brags to his two wives that he has murdered someone. And he has given this person more than they deserved I have killed a man for wounding me, a, a young man for injuring me. This, this is not restitution. This is not justice. This is an escalation, escalation of, of violence. Welcome to the 21st century. And then Lamech goes on to base his actions on something his great-grandparents must have told him or passed down to him. When Cain was sent off to wander in the world and feared for his life, God promised that he would avenge Cain's life if he were killed seven times. Now, Lamech says he will take matters into his own hands and he will avenge any wrong done to him 77 times, even more than God. The effects of sin have multiplied. Not only has Lamech taken on the role of God as the one who will avenge any injury done to him, but he has increased the intensity of the punishment, poetically speaking, 11 times over. Whereas God would avenge Cain's death seven times, Lamech promises 77 times. So the the downward spiral of sin is widening. The effects and consequences of sin are becoming more prevalent, more apparent. People aren't getting any better, they're getting worse. The restlessness of Cain has trickled down and has now become a mighty river of destruction, and yet there is still room for hope. Again, let's remember, Adam and Eve have actually lost two sons. 
Cain murdered Abel, and then Cain has been sent away from them and is wandering in the land of wandering. So what do Adam and Eve do? Well, as the song goes, they do what comes naturally. Verse 25, Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. Adam and Eve have suffered tremendous loss, the realities of life in a fallen world that they help create, but they do not give up. They do not give up. They do not stop. They move forward. They have another son, Seth, and, and, and in doing so, they exhibit a defiant kind of hope. They exhibit a defiant kind of hope. They have every reason to believe that the sin they committed in the Garden of Eden has done it. There's nothing left. Nothing else is going to happen. It's the end of the story. But it's not. They believe that God will still act. So God gives them another son, Seth. To, to borrow from Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, Adam and Eve were able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. They were able to hew out of a mountain of despair a stone of hope. There's one more hint of hope. One more hint of the next incredibly beautiful thing God will do, the last part of verse 26 reads, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. It's all led to this. People began to call on the name of the Lord. It's just one brief statement, but it points to a new level of interaction and relationship between God and humankind. In Genesis 4, we find a radical increase in sin and sinfulness together with a productive and developing civilization, with industry and art, and with this last sentence, we can add, in the best sense of the word, the beginning of religion. The beginning of religion. That time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. They began to worship God, to pray to God, and on some level to trust God more than they had. They began to call on the name of the Lord. The next incredibly beautiful thing is once again that God is not through with humanity somehow in the midst of everything that went wrong in Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 God has already made a way for people to call on his name where people can relate to God on some level and where God does not hide his face from them in their time of need regardless of the very real issues of sin and rebellion that are still going on and this of course this is part of how Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 to 26 leads us to Jesus. That's what we've been asking with each passage from Genesis so far over the last seven weeks. How does what happens here lead us to Jesus? So very, very briefly, let's consider two ways this tangle of a passage in Genesis 4 takes us to Jesus. First of all, remember... Lamech brags to his wives that he has killed many, a man for simply wounding him and that he has made himself, in a sense, higher and more powerful than God. He claims that he will avenge the one who has harmed him more intensely than God promised to avenge Cain's death. Whereas God will avenge Cain's death seven times, Lamech will avenge anyone who even harms him 77 times. These words, seven times and 77 times, are hyperlinks that when we click on them, they will take us to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18 in our New Testament. Some of you are already there. And there, the Apostle Peter asks Jesus a question. 
Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Peter thinks he's being extravagant. Seven times? Not enough for Jesus. So Jesus undoes the sin of Lamech and the downward spiral of sin that has been growing since Genesis chapter 3. And of course, the number 77 or 70 times 7 is not a literal commandment. Once you hit 77, that is, you are not free to punch someone in the face or kill them. No, forgiveness is always to be our weapon of choice, so to speak. It does not mean that we put ourselves or keep putting ourselves in dangerous or toxic situations or environments. No, whenever possible, we remove ourselves from these kinds of things with God's blessing, be it an abusive relationship or a toxic work environment. We refuse to allow the abuse or the toxicity to define us or to rule over us, and we do that by seeking to forgive over and over and over and over again for this is how God in Christ has treated us no matter how many times we have sinned against our neighbors or against our enemies or against God God stands ready to forgive 77 times that is God's forgiveness for whatever you may have done God's forgiveness is unfathomably deep we who know Jesus and seek to follow him are called to live lives of forgiveness. That, that doesn't mean that we aren't hurt. It doesn't mean we aren't justified in our anger. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle to be able to get to that place of forgiveness. It means that because we have experienced God's forgiveness, we know that we can learn over time to forgive those who have sinned against us as God has forgiven us. And yes, that is sometimes a lot to ask of a person honestly but we do not do this alone god has made a way where there is or was no way in romans 5 after comparing the gift of righteousness that comes through jesus with the problem of sin that comes through adam and after acknowledging that down through the centuries and up to the present day sin has only increased and spread and multiplied the apostle paul writes this in romans 5 verses 20 and 21 but where sin increased Grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And how, how, do, we, how do we access this grace that is more than sufficient to cover over all our, our sin and failure, our loss and pain, all our shame? How do we access that? We do it by doing what the people did at the time when Seth was born. We call on the name of the Lord. We call on the name of the Lord, and we are promised by the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for the God who has made himself known most perfectly and most clearly in the coming, in the life, in the death, and the resurrection of Jesus is the same God who gave us one incredibly beautiful thing after another. This is the same God 
who gave Adam and Eve another son and added blessing even to the line of Cain. This is the same God who will show up again in the coming of Noah and in the calling of Abram and Sarai. This is the same God who will give the law to his people through Moses and send them prophets, priests, and kings to lead them and to care for them. This is the same God who will pour out his Holy Spirit upon us and within us. This is the same God who will birth the community of God's people, the church of Jesus Christ, so that we may walk together on this journey, that we may love one another, and that we may display the glory of God and the image of God in the world. This is the same God who saves us and continues to save us over and over and over again. This is the God who will meet you wherever you are and draw you to himself with great power, with great joy, and with great peace if you will let him, if you will call upon the name of the Lord. And the name of the Lord is Jesus. Wherever you are, however far you may feel you have wandered east of Eden, whether it's your fault or the fault of others who have sinned against you or just the way of life sometimes, there's nowhere, there's nowhere you can go that God is not already there. There's nothing you've done, there's nothing that has been done to you that God cannot heal, deliver, and redeem. And you too, can be the next incredibly beautiful thing that God has in mind. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious God, we thank you for the reality. The reality that even through incredible sin and destruction, you are still at work. That you have been since day one. We thank you that even in our sorrow, even in our pain, our loss, our shame, Even in our rebellion, even when we break things in this world, we break relationships with you and with others, God. You are there. You are here. You have not given up on us. I pray for anyone here this morning who may feel they have been wandering east of Eden, who who can identify this homesickness that you will not allow us to shake off. I pray, Lord God, that they would take the step they need to take Come down this morning, ask for prayer as we sing our closing song. Find someone they came with or someone who knows them to talk about this. Let us know on the communication card that they want to talk more. Whatever, God, I ask that you would open the pathway so that if anyone here or anyone in the presence of my voice online and worshiping with us is east of Eden, that we will know we can come home. And that you have given us the pathway if we would just call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.